ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Lion's Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Crew Studios and Danube Productions bring you The Conduit, bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. This episode, our guests are Sunir Patel and Paul Flynn, owners of the legendary guitar shop True Tone Music. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. The program is about to begin. All right, welcome everyone to episode 15 of The Conduit, a podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today, my guests are Sunir Patel and Paul Flynn, owners of the legendary guitar shop True Tone Music in Santa Monica, California. Along with Norman's rare guitars in Tarzana, True Tone is top of the pile for all things guitar, for locals and touring musicians alike, and is run by musicians for musicians. It's true that, in quotes, at True Tone Music, they treat their regular customers like celebrities and their celebrities like regular people end quotes. But they do have their fair share of musical titans in the shop. Folks like Prince, The Police's Andy Summers, ZZ Top's Reverend Billy Gibbons, Tenacious D, Jacob Dylan, Steely Dan's Walter Becker, Tom Petty and Mike Campbell, Conan O'Brien, and many more have all been in the shop in downtown Santa Monica. True Tone's a fully functioning guitar shop with all the leading brands new and used, an ace repair shop in the back, and an in-house music teacher for one-on-one lessons. Most of all though, the people that own the shop and work there all just love music and want to turn you on to your next inspiration. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to my conversation with Sunir Patel and Paul Flynn from the legendary True Tone Music. All right. Well, Sunir and Paul, welcome to The Conduit. I'm so happy to have you guys here. Thanks for uh, making time and coming to join us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Right on. Well, I brought you here today just because you guys own one of the best guitar shops, in my opinion, the best guitar shop uh, in Los Angeles, True Tone, over in Santa Monica. And um the reason I love True Tone is just because it's, you know, everyone who works there is a musician. So you go in there and um, you just are hanging out with musicians. It doesn't feel like the pressure of, you know, like one of the big, big stores of, you know, it's all about the bottom line. You're really going in and getting people's opinions about the best stuff to buy, the best stuff that's going to work for you. And it's not always the most expensive thing. So um, I really always appreciate that. And you know, just uh, the uniqueness of having everyone there being a musician, I think is so cool. And I just wondered what got both of you guys into music? What was on in your house growing up? I just would love a little background on uh, what got you you both into music. Senior, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, you know, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, and, you know, I first got into music with like Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and then the, uh, yeah. the grunge movement hit with uh, Nirvana and you know, Soundgarden, Alice Chains, all that stuff. Uh, and that's really where I got into it. Uh, and growing up in the 90s, listened to a lot of 90s music and playing in bands starting when I was like 12 years old. Uh, got it. And even right when I first started, the thing I really enjoyed was going to guitar stores. Uh, even yeah. though I couldn't buy anything, you know, I, you know, as a kid, didn't have any money to buy anything. I'd always go in and like buy a pick and would start collecting picks. And to this day, I love this, <laughs> the smell of, picks when you open like a pick display and that smells there reminds me of being a kid <laughs> but uh that's right. really where i got into and when i was that age you know, as a teenager uh we would anywhere we could walk or get to you know on foot uh we any guitar store would go there and then when we were old enough to drive the first thing we did like our first friend who got a driver's license we made him drive us around to all the guitar stores that we couldn't actually get to. uh i was right. living, i grew up in cincinnati so it was like you know stores around cincinnati and, and kentucky uh so uh-huh. i got into it like that and you know get i was always into reading about guitars and looking at catalogs like this pre-internet so it was all mail order catalogs and guitar magazines and my bedroom was covered with pictures of guitars and all that half the stuff i didn't right. understand what they were what the specs were i just liked reading about it uh, so yeah. That's really how I got into the gear side of it, and at the same time, playing music and playing in bands uh, as a kid, and just grew up doing that. And 
eventually uh, went to college in Arizona. And when I got out, I, uh, I got into working at Fender and it's kind of right. by chance by playing in a band with someone playing a show with a guy who's in a band that worked there. Uh, and that got me the okay. job and eventually led to True Tone. But yeah, it really just started with like most people just really being into music and playing. And that's really what it all comes down to for me. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. What about you, Paul? Give uh, us a little I, history. I grew up in the uh, in Maryland, just outside of D.C. in Silver Spring. And uh, strangely, what kind of got me interested in playing music was when John Lennon got shot. Because that's when they started playing the retrospective stuff and the Beatles stuff. And I always knew that there was Wings and Paul McCartney and there was John Lennon and they had this band called the Beatles. But I didn't pay that much attention to it. I certainly heard a lot of Wings on the radio station when I was a kid. You couldn't turn AM radio on without hearing <laughs> Uncle Albert Admiral right. Halsey. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, that kind of... Um, piqued my interest in, I started paying more attention to it. And, and that's what kind of drew me in really to being interested in bands. And, and uh, I, it was around the same time as, as playing guitar because uh, it was, I think I was in seventh grade and they offered a guitar class in my school that I went to. And I begged my parents, I said, I know the trombone lessons in fourth grade did not work out, but I promise you the guitar work lessons are going to work out. <laughs> so um, that all kind of came together at the same time. And I had, I have an older brother and three older sisters and I have, you know, I got their classic rock taste in music handed down to me. I got my brother's old Led Zeppelin and yes albums and yeah. Joe Walsh. And I went over that stuff. Like it was the Rosetta stone paying attention to it going, what are these people doing and how do they do it? You know? Right. Um, but I was always interested in sounds and hearing things and stuff would catch my ear. So uh, I think I'm just kind of wired to be tuned into that kind of stuff and interested in it. So, so I, I had uh, been playing in bands around there. Um, I worked at a store called Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center in DC, mm. and they have a guitar repair shop. And I got a job there for a couple of years before I moved to California with a band that I was in. And that was 1990. I moved out to Los Angeles, and I thought it was going to be difficult finding that kind of works. I thought LA was going to be locked up with techs and, you yeah. know, retired, uh, uh, guys uh, that had been on the road with bands. And, you know, I thought I'm going to be lucky to get a foothold in here. And I come out here and it's pretty much wide open. There was mm. John Carruthers and a few other people and, and not much else. And it's right. kind of still that way. There's not that much going on for repair in Los Angeles. You would think that there would be more shops That's than there true. are, but there aren't that many. Right. So, uh, I, I was lucky to get a job in a shop in Hollywood, um, that was near voltage guitars. It was up on by the guitar center on, on, uh, on uh, Gardner and sunset and, yeah. uh, guitars are us, Albert from guitars are us and Lloyd from voltage guitars. I started working on their stuff for them at the shop that I was working at and became more familiar with the vintage guitars. And that's how I got, uh, uh more experienced with, with that kind of stuff. Then, uh, eventually a buddy of mine was working at ACE music in Santa Monica. And he said, Hey, this is a good, I'm leaving here, but it's a good gig. You should come over. And I went over there and worked at that shop. And then those guys went out of business in 98 and we needed jobs. And my former business partner, Ken Daniels and Russ Blake, and I opened True Tone simply because we needed jobs. We had been working at ACE music and they, those guys just split. One of the brothers said that he was going to open up a store with us. And then he, uh, the term ghosted wasn't around back then, but he goes to this basically. <laughs> oh. So we were standing around uh, with our, you know, what's in our hands going, what are we going to do now? So uh, Ken found the spot that we're in and we went in there to see what we could do. And 25 years later, we've done quite a bit. So, Oh man. Well, uh, just quickly, huge love out to Russell Blake. One of my favorite guitar players ever. I love Russ. Mm. Oh man. Yeah, well, that's great. that's amazing, and, and definitely went into Ace up there. It was in that little. It was like next to a car lot there, right? Yeah, that was. It was next to Simonson Mercedes on Seventeenth uh, right. and Wilshire, and right. that building they were in used to be a Biff's coffee shop, which they would build on the side of Union Seventy Six gas stations, right. and they re reused that building. Those guys have an interesting story because they came out of. Ace Music came out of their parents' pawn shop that was in Santa Monica in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. In the oh. late 60s, when the guitar boom happened, and this is what happened with Chuck Levin, and this is what happened with a lot of guys that had pawn shops. Yeah, They were selling a lot of guitars, right? and they were selling out of stuff, and they start looking for more, and they realized this is kind of a business we could get into. Hmm. So uh, in the late 60s, once the guitar boom happened, 
a lot of pawn shop owners flipped over being into being music store owners, which is partly where all of the haggling and the sort of uh, old school deal making comes from in in music stores is yeah. is, uh, is is from that kind of a legacy. So that makes sense. Makes yeah, perfect sense. Well, back to True Tone, I want to get um, I, I was just talking about how True Tone just always feels different. And it's like every time I go in there, I'm, I'm not just going in there to grab something or buy a guitar. I'm I'm getting great stories from you or Dave or Mike or any of the guys. And I just feel like to me, that's what makes True Tone different from the bigger chains. And I want I'm wondering if that's kind of how you guys see it. Is that intentional? Kind of how did you create the aesthetic there? We, we can't stand those guys. We hate them. We wish they weren't around. Um, I can't say we created it. The staff created it. It was yeah. it's and and they're not your uh, a, a few of us are your central casting guys who work in guitar shops or motorcycle or skateboard shop kind of guys, yeah. lifers for this kind of a thing. But right. some of us are not that way. And, and um, it's a strange mix of personalities and, and characters that kind of shouldn't work together, but it really <laughs> does work together. And it's what creates the environment that is the store. Yeah. And it really is the people we could put whatever, gear up on the walls you know you can't just just get a room and put gear in it and people come in to buy it it doesn't it does not work that way you have to have people there to uh help people make their purchases and understand what they can get and walk them through and and you know people need reassurance when they're spending a lot of money on a on a guitar and you have to you have to treat them with respect and um be interested in what it is that they're interested in doing and that goes back to everybody being a musician we have to hire musicians you know we can't especially for sales staff, they need to know the gear and be able to play it. Um, We're lucky to have a staff that has a pretty extensive um, amount of experience gigging and and touring. And they, they have a pretty good idea of uh, what people need to play their coffee shop gig or whatever it is when they come in for advice. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that, absolutely. On that note, the part about the staff, you know, and the crew we have being the most important when I came in, it was five years ago when I, when I left yeah. Fender and when I was coming to True Tone to do this, uh, what as I was working on this and kind of the deal was uh, being put together, uh, one of the main things to me, and it, it was and still is, was the staff. And I yeah. talked to all of them individually. I was still at Fender and I knew them and they knew me from me coming in as the Fender rep. But it was really important to me that they were going to stay. Uh, not just because right. when I got there, I need, you know, we would need a staff. Obviously we would, it was very important yeah. for them specifically, these exact guys to be there. Yeah. Uh, and I went to all of them and said, Hey, one, do you think we can do something here? Turn this around, modernize it, do all the stuff we want to do. But also more importantly, if I come and do this, are you going to stay? Uh, yeah. and I, I needed to know that because one, they knew how to run the business and how to do everything, but also from the customer standpoint, I wanted to come in and when customers come in and yeah, we're going to change what we're doing. But when customers walked in, they'd see Dave standing there. They'd see Mike, they'd see Lewis, all the, all the guys they've known for many years. And that was hugely, hugely important to me that it was going to be the same crew. And, you know, to this day, it it is the same crew. Like our most junior sales guys, 15 years in or 16 years in. Uh, yeah, almost, you know, the vast majority of the, the crew has been there for 10 years plus. Uh, yeah, that's a really big thing. And it's the most important part of the vibe and the culture and all that of the store are, are all the guys working there. Right. Not a lot of turnover at True Tone, which is a testament to uh, it being a great place to work. We've had we've had uh, there's a small club of employees who left for greener pastures and then ended up coming back. Oh, to, yeah. Uh, to True Tone as well. So we're, we're loosely run, but it's still a tight ship. It's kind of a funny combination of it's a funny way that we have it set up. It's very not corporate, but we still yeah. manage to do quite a bit of business. And when they go out to find people go out to find other jobs, they have to they find that they really do have to show up on time you know, and and. <laughs> Meet them. We have, you know, the, I tell people all the time, the biggest problem with the business is that we, back to how great the staff is, we have to hire musicians and then we have musicians as staff. So they've got a gig, they've got rehearsal, they've got a tour they're going to go on. They had a fight with their girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on the couch last night, so they didn't sleep well. They're just creative people have issues that come along with them that in an office, you're not going to see that kind of stuff. So. Right, right. 
That's awesome. Just the fact that you guys are, uh, you know, sympathetic to that. And that's, that's the vibe there is beautiful. And I think that's why we all love it. Well, I'd love to jump into just kind of the nuts and bolts of it, you know, when, and I guess this is mainly uh, at the beginning, a question for Paul, just because he's been there from the beginning, but what were the challenges initially with, you know, starting up this business, Paul, like bank loans, renting a space, insurance, what, what kind of talk to us, you know, this, this podcast is all about how to do it from people who've done it. So Obviously, finding a space was was critical. And if we yeah. hadn't found, uh, we would have found a space, but that's a good spot that it turned out to be a good spot that we uh, that we ended up in there. Um, yeah. The biggest obstacle that we faced initially was a lack of capital and um, that manufacturer. We were too new of a business for manufacturers, even ones we had done business with at Ace Music and we knew the sales reps yeah. and we had told them, hey, Ace is going to be going up, but we're going to open up a shop. Yeah. Uh, Rickenbacker, for instance, we spoke to them and and had, you know, because we would be calling and doing the ordering and dealing with the people. And, and, and we called them and said, hey, this is what's going on. Um, you know, would you open us as a dealer yeah. once we reopen the store? And they said, we have a mandatory one year waiting period before we can do that. But we will. And they actually held off on opening up West LA Music as a dealer so that so that we could be. So some of them worked with us to the extent that they could. Other new companies, you know, we were a new company as well, and we didn't have a lot of uh, uh, money to spend. So we we basically found this guy down in Orange County who had all of these imported guitars under the MD brand name. Mm. And we bought up a whole bunch of these. These were inexpensive import guitars, but we had to have something to put on the walls. Yeah. So I put up I put up about a dozen of my good guitars that I had been, had collected up to that point. I had a couple of nice Gretches that went and a few other things. And uh, Russ put some guitars in and we went and we found this guy and we kind of filled up the store with just what we had. Yeah. And we didn't take any bank loans or anything. We just slowly, um, you know, built it sale by sale. And the money that we made on this sale went back into the business. And we kept just kept doing that for years and years and years until it was a huge, uh, an insane amount of inventory at that in that store at one yeah. point. So yeah. Um so that was a, getting established and having being trusted by the industry that we weren't gonna, you know, disagree. Because the music industry is a very loosely run, um, unprofessional, you know, compare again back to the office thing. Compared to other industries, the MI business is is a is a real clown show. Hmm. So guys open up shops all the time that have no business doing it. They're running out of their garage. Now they do it on the internet. It used to be you know, before the internet, they would still try and sell stuff out of their home or on the recycler. They would sell stuff, um, mm. and you know, guys come and go, and and there's some sketchy people in the business. So it was tough getting uh, our foothold in the doors as far as getting uh, established to get accounts going. Right, right, um, that makes sense. Once we had the space and we had some merchandise, it was it just kind of went from there, and it was like a dog that was instead of us taking it for a walk, it started taking us for a walk. It started dragging us along and then it just kind of, kind of snowballed basically. Got it. Got it. Wow. We, Cause we already had the staff. We had good experience. We just needed a space and merchandise to do what we knew we could do. So. Right. Right. And for a long time, and you guys have been open since 98, but for a long time it was just flowing. And then, uh, you know, there's articles coming out saying the guitar is dead. I can't remember where I saw that, but, um, and, you know, Guitar Center was selling more turntables than guitars and the era of guitar was over. Um, obviously, that doesn't seem to be true, but I wonder if we could get your perspective on how that's panned out these last few years since those articles came out. Senior? Well, it, it changed over the years and also uh, the guitar market changed, but also the nature of how guitar, the guitar business, especially retail, changed. Uh, and, you know, there's articles out there. There's a famous one in the Washington Post about, is the guitar dead? And, yeah, you know, that was a headline-grabbing type of thing. Right. The point of the article was saying the guitar business is struggling. They pointed to difficulties at Fender and at Gibson and other companies. And there's some right. truth to, the you know, it's struggling in a way. It was also written in a way to generate headlines and get attention. And yeah. just using Gibson as an example, one of the things is that, yeah, Gibson was struggling, absolutely, had major financial concerns and, you know, going bankrupt and having to change ownership. But one of the biggest mistakes Gibson made 
was not guitars. It was that they shifted their business and their what they want to do from being focused on guitars to not on guitars, to consumer mm -hmm. audio and all this other stuff that they put money into mm -hmm. that did not work for them. And it kind of uh, handcuffed them, their, they handcuffed their guitar business. So yeah. to get back into it, what they did was shed themselves of all that stuff and focus on guitars and it's working again. Uh, right. Fender has also grown big into all these areas and kind of come back to focused on guitars and, and all that. So companies would do that. Uh, so the problem wasn't guitars, it was trying to do other things. Uh, right, I see, I see. And over time, you know, music uh, shifts and, you know, people get into different things, but you could go back to disco and people said, oh, that's going to kill rock and roll. And then rap was going <laughs> right. to kill rock and roll and then electronic dance. Synthesizers, we're going to put all musicians out of yeah, business at one exactly. point. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Video games, you know, and there is truth to all those things do impact uh, guitar sales, of course, but yeah. they don't kill them. And to this right. day, the guitar market has continued to grow. It's a growth industry for sure. Uh, yeah. And for stores, you know, retailers to go back to us in particular, uh, really to me what it is is that, well, it changed and maybe the guitars that sold before aren't the ones and there's new ones or, you know, whatever the trend is, but also how it's yeah. done. The day, and just, this isn't unique to the guitar world, uh, it's just retail in general, is that it changed and you had to change with it. And that was the main thing with yeah. True Tone that over the years, you know, even though there's economic, you know, ebbs and flows and all that, you know, obviously 2008 with economy and everything went down, but then it had to build back up. But yeah. as it built back up, the world was changing. Retail changed and you had to modernize and, uh, you know, e-commerce and not just actually selling online, but like an online presence to help uh, promote your store. All that became hugely yeah. important. And if you didn't modernize right. and you didn't do all that, you weren't, it wasn't going to work. But if you did, it could work. Uh, so you yeah. saw a lot of stores go out of business for that reason. Or, you know, sometimes it'd be, the owner, whoever would get older and, you know, not want to modernize and, you know, they'd have to retire and move on. And that's a normal thing in retail. Uh, but if right. you want to keep it going, you do have to change it. And, you know, for yeah. us, that was, the, that was the biggest thing uh, in the biggest way. Yeah. It seems like you guys have really risen to the occasion with that. And I'm, uh, I'm guessing you were a big part of that scenario and how, talk about how, Kind of how much of the business comes from e-commerce, eBay, Reverb, and all that versus walk-ins and kind of how the business works these days. Sure. Uh, you know, when, when I came in, it was five years ago, and probably 5% of the business was online. It was, I mean, True Tone okay. was still old school, pen and paper, brick and mortar, which is cool. And my intent yeah. was not to come in and get rid of that to do online. It was to do both, to have a yeah. hybrid business. and. So the goal was to make it 50-50, which, uh, I mean, it's not like it just happened overnight. It's been the last five years to get there. But today, yeah. it's about 50% online, 50% store. Also, wow. it's not like a clean cut, uh, this sale is online, this sale is in the store. There's some of that. Someone does go yeah. to the website and just buy something that's online. Someone walks in the front door and buys a guitar that's in the store. There's a lot right. that's kind of in between. People come to yeah. the store after they see it online. And that is an in-store sale that was generated by online. Or someone sure. calls the store saying, hey, I saw this on your website or I saw it on Reverb or whatever. And they end up buying it over the phone. So it kind of get it looks like an in-store sale or a phone sale, but it's generated by online. Yesterday, we yeah. sold a guitar that I think we did a trade on the guitar in the store. A guy comes in, trades a guitar in, uh, gives us his guitar. We you know take pictures, put online. Uh, went and did a picture of it for Instagram, uh, put it up on Instagram, I think on Sunday. And by Monday, we had multiple offers. Guy comes in yesterday wow. evening, buys the guitar. So that's an in-store oh, wow. sale, 100%. Right. But it was generated because the first guy came in because he saw a guitar on the website that he wanted and brought his guitar. Right. And right. this guitar that we sold yesterday, the guy said he saw it on Instagram because he follows us went to the website, looked at it, read about it, and then drove down in the store and ended up buying the guitar. So yeah. it all works together. You know, it's, it's not a clear cut thing, but for us, yeah, I mean, this, these days looking at the numbers, it is about 50, 50, uh, 50% yeah. in the store, about 50% online. And the online part is about split between half and half between our website and selling on, on reverb. 
Uh, we, we did it. eBay for a long time. We don't right now. We'll get back to it. It's like a, it's a logistical problem with the eBay app interfacing with our system and inventory issues. Oh, okay. So we'll get back yeah. there, but it's pretty much half direct sales and half reverb. Uh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, I would assume people, you know, everything's everybody's looking on everything at everything online, but you still want to go in and play it. Yeah. So it's a combination that makes of, a lot of, sense. of everything. That's why I think the the 50 50 split is actually pretty interesting because I would have thought that the, the internet would there just be more people online buying stuff than in person, but people really do want to come in and try stuff out. Yeah. And, you know, even even if they just look at our website and they see a pedal they're interested in, it, it puts it in their mind to, you know, I should go down there and see what's going on because they probably have some stuff. You know, there's always the, the thrill of the what just came in and what's mm. on the used wall and what's on the new wall. And, you know, um, so so as Sunir said, all that marketing um, it, People, people talk about this stuff as, as if it's a direct one-to-one -one link between I, I see online, I buy online. It's yeah. a lot more messy than that. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of branches that, that come off of that. Just like yeah, when I'm they listening. say that, uh, uh, what do they call it? When you showroom, you know, showrooming, when somebody sees something in your store and then goes and buys it for less online, that was a hmm. big beef initially from, from brick and mortar retailers about online. Yeah. But what I realized a little bit into that was that it works the other way too. They'll see it online and they'll want to come to your store and play it. So it, it, it's, it's a, it's not a one-to-one, -one, one direction, every transaction kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I, you know, musical instruments and records are the same thing. Sometimes they look really good and you could see it online and it looks like, Oh, this is the one, but until you go in and play it or put the needle to it, a really good looking record could sound terrible and a really great looking guitar might not play that great. So you always want to go in and check it out in the shop. You know, I would think. Uh, I, th I think that way I'm very old fashioned, but quite a few people are comfortable buying things online. And um, hmm. we're very careful when we, anything we ship out to make sure it's set up as well as it can be and doesn't have any yeah. issues, uh, make it as nice as we can to just to minimize returns because they are taking a chance on whether they're going to like it or not. So sure. Um, you know, with the online business returns is a big concern for me. So we're real uh, descriptive, uh, I bet, too. And you have to be very descriptive, to be very accurate. And we have to make everything really just as nice as we can before it gets boxed up and goes out the door. Right. To, to, to try and minimize returns and make the customer happy, basically. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the uh, it's a big thing now, too, on with people buying online that we hear it from customers and you know, I kind of knew this, but people are really comfortable when they're buying online, buying from a store like us, as opposed yeah. to say on reverb from an end user, you know, just some guy yeah. or maybe a, a big box retailer online who just takes a box and sends it out. People right. like buying from stores like us. And there's others like us around the country too, because they know we're going to inspect the guitar. We're going to set it up. We're going to take the time to make sure it's right. Uh, if it's a used guitar, we're going to represent it accurately and take good pictures and all that. And if it's a new yeah. guitar, we're not just going to take a sealed box and send it. It's going to come. Yeah. And it's going to play great. And we hear back right. feedback from people. And that's also how we grow the repeat business and the reputation yeah. that people know that if you get a guitar from us, it's going to play great. It's going to be right. It's not going to be sharp fret ends and all this stuff that you might encounter <laughs> in right. another situation. Uh, and yeah. I think as people have gotten more and more used to buying online and maybe the novelty of buying online's kind of faded away because people do it for everything these days, yeah. guitar buyers in particular are very conscious about who they're buying it from, which is good for us because uh, yeah. they, they think about those things and they, they want to know they're buying it from a place that cares and that's going to do it right and not just, yeah. hey, I got this for 50 bucks cheaper because I bought it over here or something like that. Well, yeah, you're going to feel more comfortable when you're buying from a dealer that has, you know, a great reputation is shipping it boxed up all nice. It comes great. You're going to get feedback. You're going to get all that. And people are going to trust you. Yeah. Um, should also mention that uh, the guitars, when they come in, except for uh, just a couple of manufacturers, when they come in the back door, yeah. uh, they're never ready to play out of the box. They always need to be set up. The manufacturers don't really do the final setup and the adjustments to make it play as well as it can. Hmm. They get it close and they leave the action a little high and the nut slot's a little high so it doesn't buzz too much because they're afraid if it buzzes, it'll get returned. So mm -hmm. they're a little phobic Martins that way. Um, 
they act, leave the action a little little proud just to not have any problems with buzzing but it's hard to play that way and you have to bring it down a little bit and adjust it so it's it's easy to play and um most most dealers especially online dealers just take a box in and ship a box out mm-hmm. and the stuff that we see from manufacturers sometimes uh is not all of them, but a few of them have, you know, it's pretty rough and it needs quite a bit of adjustment. And if people are getting guitars like that, I can't imagine how many of them stick because some of these things really aren't even playable when they come yeah. out of the box. Well, you would think the 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 time you're investing in getting them super playable when you get them just saves you time in the end, you know, because God forbid you sell one, it's not all dialed in, someone's going to get it home, it plays terrible, and they're just going to return it. So what's the point? Yeah, or they're going to come to their local music store. Like they, people buy online and they bring stuff to us. And I look at it and I say, first thing I, you know, if they have a problem with the guitar or question about, the first thing I say is, and did you buy this from a dealer? Yeah. Goes back to what we were talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, because then you, then you might have some recourse or maybe they ought to give you a hundred bucks. They didn't tell you about this crack over here or something mm. like that. So it's, uh, I, again, I can't even imagine um, businesses that, that don't, treat the instruments the way that they're intended to be used, you know, understand them for their fun. Now it's not just a unit we have to sell. It's a thing that a person's going to get and make music with. And it has certain requirements that it be adjusted. And um, that makes a big difference for our, all the guitars in the store when you walk in are set up and everything's easy to play and should be in tune. And that people notice that as well. You know, I go into other stores to check stuff out. I pick something up and the guitars are unplayable. It's like, how do you guys even sell stuff? Yeah. And they don't have a repair shop. They don't have even have a tech doing anything. They just, oh, I don't know. I'll put some strings on it for you. And that's all they can do. So right. I, I do run the repair shop. So I have a vested interest in seeing uh, how important <laughs> it is to the business that we do the setups. But but I think we're pretty unique. It used to be that manufacturers considered that final setup a dealer courtesy, like a car, like a new car prep kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I think they still consider it that, but none of the dealers do it. Right. So it's a, it's an unusual uh way to approach it and and when people come in with with concerns about their instrument sometimes they're beginners and they're they're embarrassed to say that i would like it to play more easily than it does or you know why is this note buzzing here and i have to tell them no no it should be easy to play it shouldn't buzz you know it needs to be adjusted and and you're working much harder than you need to especially as a beginner to get the strings down to the neck and play the thing so um that's a that's a big uh, back to the staff too we treat we treat the instruments like musical instruments and the customers like musicians. Yeah. You know, we know what the final use is and that's, that's what we're, that's what we're there doing. Right. People come in the store all the time and people who have been coming for years say this and people who have never been there. They find out, but they notice that all the guitars on the wall play extremely well and they'll make comments about it. You know, they'll know that everything before it comes out and hits the wall, it's set up and it's going to play great. And that's a pretty big thing, especially if you're someone who goes to a lot of guitar stores and you know the difference or where you've always gone is a big box store where they're not doing that and the things don't play yeah. that well. And you come in here and you, if you want to, you know, the way it's said is, you know, if you want to compare, say you want to buy a Strat and you're comparing five different Strats, they should yeah. all be set up and play the same, so to say. Right. Uh, right. And so you're comparing the guitars and comparing the, the feel of the neck and the pickups and all those things that help you make the right decision for yourself and not going, well, this one plays better than that one. They're all going to play equally as good, but now you can make the decision based on which guitar you actually like. Uh, Right. And the reputation of having done that for years pays off. We actually, this is like a year or two ago and I don't remember all the particulars, but someone bought a, I think it was a custom shop strat or something from us online or it was actually a base. Uh, hmm. It was expensive, you know, like $4,000 or something like that. And yeah. one of the things he said, you know, like when he was in the process of buying it or after he bought it or whatever, was that he had never heard of us. But when he saw that it was us, he either remembered that he had knew the name or he looked it up or something. Some famous session bass player had said in some podcast, you know, talking yeah. about his instruments that he gets all his stuff worked on by True Tone. And this customer oh, yeah. said, well, if he gets all his stuff worked on by you guys, I know that's going to play right. And I know it's going to be good. And, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I'd want to buy it from you because if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, not even where he heard it wasn't in reference to a purchase. The guy was, this guy was saying, yeah, I get all my stuff worked on over there. Uh, so yeah. that kind of reputation over the years has built is 
if you get something from us, it's going to play great. The techs all know what they're doing and they take their time to make it right and to make it play, play as good as it's going to play. And that's, that's a big, big thing for us. Oh man. Huge. Well, speaking of, let's talk a little bit about the repair department. Um, obviously, you run that aspect of the store, Paul, but you guys have so many amazing people there working. There's always uh, always a wait to get your guitar fixed, at least most of the time, which is a, yet another testament to what a great job you guys do. Everyone wants their guitars fixed to true tone. Uh, talk to us about the guys that work in the shop and kind of what their specialties are. I know Junior uh, fixed up my Jazzmaster to perfection. You refretted my 335 and it just plays killer. So I wonder if you just break down what people's kind of lanes are and what they're uh, the best at there. It's more that it's uh, it's it's more that the guys specialize in what they're interested in. You know, uh-huh. Pharaoh knows the Ibanez guitars and some of the heavy metal guitars really well. Yeah. Um, I know the I know the vintage stuff. Uh, Junior knows jazz masters and yeah. uh, jaguars and and those kind of guitars. Um, so we we sort of naturally gravitate to or this or Junior's going to get the wiring job. I'll do the frets. I'll do a refret and I'll hand it to Junior to put the pickups in the guitar. Mm. So we'll swap off depend depending on what our skills are yeah. as far as that goes. Um, there are seven of us techs, um, six full time and one part time. Mm-hmm. And how many sales guys do we have, Senior? Uh, you could say five, but then you add in e-commerce, you add in filler guys. Oh yeah. And the marketing the guys too. So. so you could say like e-commerce or between everyone who's involved with sales, it's really four main guys and then another two or three. So seven. Yeah. yeah so we have about the same number of staff in the retail as we do in the, in the repair shop. Yeah. Um, we used to go through... Uh, before COVID, I used to go through 2000 work orders in inside of a year, about every 11 months, I'd have to reorder, uh, a 2000 more work orders, uh, wow. for guitar repairs, amp repairs. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of stuff moving through there. When, when COVID happened, we shut the shop down for obvious reasons. Um, and we kind of slowly started back up. There was, there's quite a bit of demand for guitar repair though. Yeah. Um, so we have to... Be a little bit picky and choosy about what we take in. Um, we have to make sure that something's going to be can come out right and is worth fixing. Yeah. Uh, just because there is so much stuff coming at us, we do have to be a little bit uh, discerning as far as what we uh, what we say yes to in the shop. And sure. typical waits uh, ten days, two weeks for a setup or a nut or a pickup install or something like that. And it's pretty yeah. consistently that busy. So yeah. there aren't too many other. Um, I'm I'm not sure who has a bigger staff uh, doing repairs. I know, I don't think anybody in Los Angeles is doing, uh, has, has quite as big as an operation as we do. Yeah. Um, I think even in the country, you know, I know George Gruen has a lot of guys working for him, but I'm not sure seven guys is a lot. Yeah. Uh, and we're all busy all the time. So it's a, it's a good, uh, you know, if we keep making the customers happy, we can keep doing this. It's as simple as that. We just, uh, we like what we do and, and, uh, we like the customers. We like the gear. It's um, it's generally a very nice work environment. You know, we like the people we deal with. We have a lot of longtime customers. As you're, a lot of people we've known for thirty years now. You know, yeah. Um, so uh, everybody's on the program. They trust us. There's very little drama. They come in. They drop off. They say, "When will it be ready?" And we tell them ten days. Okay, see you then. And that's about it. You know, we don't have. Um, a lot of people have been traumatized at, at repair shops because their guitar got messed up or they had a bad experience with the guy at the front counter because he had an attitude or the mm. guitar shops are notorious for that kind of thing. Right. Uh, I've worked with a few real doozies in my time over the years <laughs> uh, who just hated customers, you know, and, yeah. and really resented even being there. But I, uh, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. I, I, I once I kind of figured out that there was the guys in the in the shop, be it the back of the hardware store or the the uh, the car dealer or whatever, you talk to the guys who fix the stuff, and they kind of had know what's going on. Yeah. And I was going into Chuck Levin's as a, as a as a kid buying parts for my guitars, trying to get them fixed up, and I was like, I want to get behind the counter and see what you guys are doing back there. Yeah. Um. So, you know, a customer comes into into the store and needs something, we're very happy to see him and and we'll be helpful to them, and uh, nobody's going to give them a. a uh, cold shoulder or any attitude. Um, right. 
back in the repair shops or on the sales floor too. It's uh, we, it's a, it's, it's almost a no pressure sales environment. It really is. The sales guys kind of, they help the customers. And then when they they're off with an amp or in the room, trying a guitar out, they, they keep an eye on them, but they don't pester them. They give them their space to try the thing out for as long as they want to. And they come out and they want to try another few pedals. So it's a, it's very easy to be, one, you know, one customer can feel that you're being overbearing and you treat mm-hmm. another customer the exact same way and he feels like you're ignoring him. So it's tough to gauge with each person that the guys have a very good sense of, uh, you know, give them something to get them set up and started and here, give them some space to see what it does and then yeah. let it go from there. And don't try and force things. Don't try and push them into a sale. Right. Um, so, so it's funny because we have a couple of Yelp reviews where people talk about how they were pursued through the store by salesmen who were trying to, you know, hmm. are you here to buy or not? You know, these stories they tell about how the sales guy <laughs> and Sanir and I are like, oh man, those guys, our staff could never in a million years to do it. They couldn't force a sale if their life depended on it. <laughs> it's you not know? the style. They're not that kind of salesman. Not they, at they don't all. They don't have training. They're just, they mus- they're musicians. And you say, I've got a gig and, um, you know, I don't like the sound of my overdrive pedal. What can I do? That's what they, that's what they can help with. Right. Right. They're helpful. They're not pushy. Yeah. Yeah, and that leads to a lot of sales, and at least the customers coming back because they feel like they're not good. There's a lot of stores. There's a um, I won't mention any any store names, but there's a vintage clothing store in the valley that my girlfriend won't go to. This woman has an incredible stock of really good stuff, and her prices are great, but she yeah. always forces you to buy something that you really didn't want. Oh. And she's one of those outgoing personality types. Oh, you'll love this. Come here. you got to try this. There was, right. there was a, somebody who had a store in, in LA for many years who would send people home with pieces, you know, here, take this flanger, try it out. You know, here, this is the latest thing in from Japan. Try this. Um, and people ended up with a bunch of stuff they didn't want. And then they stopped going to that store because of that, right. uh, for that, for that reason, even though he did have good stuff and he was a great guy, he was maybe even inadvertently, he was forcing people to take stuff home that they really didn't want. So, yeah. uh, that doesn't that doesn't help for us when people buy a guitar from us and they get home with it and they end up not being happy. We'd rather hear from them and we can work something out as far as finding something that will make them happy. Sure. Uh, if you put a pickup in someone's guitar that we recommend in the repair shop, if they're not happy with it, we're not going to leave them stuck with it. We're going to exchange it for something and we're going to find something that does work for them. Right. Um, and some of these things are so personal, you never really know. Uh, guitar pickups is a perfect example. They have a general sound profile that you can describe, but you never know what anything sounds like until you put it in the guitar, play it through your amp in the environment that you're used to, take it to a rehearsal or record with it or whatever. Yeah. You don't know until after you've done all that stuff if it's the right thing or not. So um, right. we're pretty uh, – and we deal with people who are serious about this stuff. They're not just getting stuff to, to buy it and return it, buy it, return it, and bring it back just so they can – you know, some of the big – chain stores have problems with returns and they'll red flag customers who do it too much. But we have, we don't have people that are just uh, uh, doing it to have a gas. We have people right. who really do want to find that pickup that sounds right in the neck of, neck of their strat that they've haven't found before. So. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you guys do have such a beautiful selection of stuff from guitars and basses, obviously to amps and then pedals for days. I'm just wondering how a shop kind of has, how does it work financially to have such a diverse, um, you know, kind of display of stuff? How do you decide what you can keep in the store, what you can't, what you can try out for a little bit and see if it works? How does that, how does that work? Just as uh, someone who would be interested in starting a guitar shop, how do you navigate that, knowing what to keep in the shop? Uh, you know, honestly, it's it's difficult. Uh, it's complicated. And the bigger you, the bigger you get, and the more inventory you have, and the more brands you carry, the harder and harder it gets. It's easier if yeah. you're smaller because there's less stuff to think about. Uh, mm. There's part of it is on the used side. In some ways, it's a little bit easier because people come in, they have a trade, and you're they're trading in a guitar or some pedals. People come in with four pedals to trade it into one or two pedals. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit easier because you figure out the values, you do all that. Uh, also, we do a lot of consignment business. Uh, people yeah. have been consigning guitars with us for years. It's a better deal from them for them than as opposed to just selling it outright. And we handle everything. And that's actually a big, big piece of what we do. Uh, and a lot of the consignees are people who just keep bringing guitar after guitar. And a lot of times it's a guitar <laughs> they bought from us originally, which is great. Mm. So it's like the second time we're selling it. Uh, yeah. 
so there's that on the new side it's it's a little more complicated because you do have to make those decisions some yeah. of it's relatively easy in the sense that we're a dealer for fender gibson martin taylor prs you know the, and then on the pedal side there's 75 pedal brands uh right. on the guitar side and the amp side a lot of it is based on what gear do we think will sell and that we personally like and we can stand behind you know quality wise yeah. and what it is uh yeah. and then when you get into okay which ones to carry it's it's tough you know all these companies make a ton of models uh right. and each one of them comes in multiple colors and you can't have everything there's just not enough space <laughs> to do that uh right. but we do know what sells uh and you know in terms of what to order uh, a lot of times it's just whether it's pedals or guitars it's based on well what did we have and sell so we hmm run reports and say okay here's all brand by brand okay here's what's sold all this is good we should you know we always sell this pedal or this is a guitar we've had three times and sold every time let's get it again and right. then we also stop and look and go mm, that one sat here for a long time let's maybe yeah. not get it again or switch right. the color or drop that model and get a different model sometimes we mm. want to sell the older models and move stuff out because you know the companies are going to come out with new stuff and yeah. if you just keep reordering the same stuff and then also get the new stuff, you run out of space and money. Uh, so it's, it's a continuously evolving thing of what to get and what to order. Uh, a lot of it is based on intuition, but also, you know, I'll, I do all the ordering and I'll ask the guys at the store, what do you think of this? Uh, if a new yeah. pedal comes out for, from the company, some companies like say Strymon, I don't have to think about it. We're just going to order it. And that's, you know, <laughs> right. uh, but some companies you look at it or they come out with a lot of new stuff and you say, Hey, is this cool? You know, I'll ask the sales guys because they have the feedback from the customers. They know if the mm -hmm. customers come in asking for it or looking for, it, or they might say, Hey, that's actually a really cool feature on that delay pedal that no one else really does. We should definitely do that. And sometimes they say, mm. eh, we kind of already have things like that. Uh, so yeah. it happens in a, in a multitude of different ways. Uh, Interesting. And, you know, it's tough and it's a balance. And especially once the pandemic hit, it used to be that you would order stuff and you just say, okay, here's what I need. This is all in stock or it's not going to take too long. And you kind of look at it like that. All yeah. that got thrown, you know, upside down when the pandemic hit and you, you couldn't do that. You had to just order mm. as much as you could from everyone with the hope that it was going to come in eventually, which it will. But you don't know when. Right. Uh, right. And that was really difficult because all the manufacturers, you know, their factories were shut down. And when they reopened, they had to slowly ramp it up. Demand skyrocketed while supply <laughs> plummeted. So it was a very yeah. weird situation. We couldn't get enough guitars. But uh, yeah. we ordered a lot. And over the last few years now, the companies have started to get caught up, which is also a difficult thing because now, you know, in the last year or two, all these back orders start rolling in. And the, oh. the biggest challenge is actually managing the order flow. Uh, mm. I don't know, but I do know how some do it, and it's they don't do it or they don't do it well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually really a complicated thing when you're doing you know a ton of business with say Fender or Martin or someone like that. Back order yeah. all this stuff. You have to manage the back orders, so mm. it's not it's the less uh, it's the less sexy part of the business is me sitting there staring at a computer, looking at a giant spreadsheet, trying to figure yeah. out what's on order, when is it coming, when do we want it coming, do I you know, let this just come when it comes, or do I push these products out and you know, they might ship next month, maybe we don't need them, let's push it out to July or something. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm doing that literally every day, trying to make sure that not too much stuff comes in, you gotta pay for it, but you also need somewhere right. to put it. Uh, our, you know, there's only so much space in the back to put this stuff. So that yeah. is the biggest challenge. Uh, and I mean, if you're, un, you have unlimited capital, that's different, but most stores don't. Yeah. So it's just trying to, to manage it. Uh, pedals are easier because they don't cost a lot. Even then, right. you can't order five of every pedal because, well, when they come in, you have to put them somewhere. Uh, right. Even the pedal shelves are fully stocked and we have way more gear than, you know, we have, we have way more guitars than we have hooks for the wall. And that's good because yeah. every day we sell stuff that is not on display. Uh, mm. We want that inventory, but to actually manage it and control it, 
uh, and then be able to pay for it, that's that's a pretty big challenge. And I mean, the thing I spend the most time on. I would imagine. Plus, every every manufacturer has a different sort of uh, process and protocol about how they deal with that kind of stuff, the back orders and things that Senior, some of them communicate well, some of them just a guitar you ordered two years ago all of a sudden shows up and you don't get any warning and oh here it, or five guitars show up that you ordered. Oh wow, yeah. Certain company with an R in front of its name I won't mention. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Every company, they have a different kind of house style and and, hmm. and Senior has to switch between all these different kind of formats of who to, how Martin does it, how Taylor does it. Senior. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's you know, a lot of this. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it, what Paul just said about each one's different. There are yeah. different levels of uh, how advanced they are as a company. So, like, mm -hmm. as an example, Fender is the most advanced. So I don't need to yeah. email our rep or anything to get an open order report and see what we have on order. They have a dealer mm -hmm. website, a portal that I can go on and look at everything. It has the ETAs. It has everything uh, you need by running that report uh right. say taylor they don't have that if i email the rep and say hey can you send me an open order report he'll do it the same day and he'll have the eta so they're like also pretty advanced and they're good prs yeah. is the same but there are some companies i just i don't want to say anything negative about any company but one i emailed him asking for this report because we need to do a big order to restock stuff he sent yeah. it to me i match it up to what's on open order in our po system and it doesn't match yeah. up. So I asked him, I said, hey, these, you know, eight things on these different orders, they're not on your report. If I show them as open, when did you ship them? And yeah. the answer was, oh, yeah, that didn't show up on the report. You have them on order. So I'm going, well, I asked you for an open <laughs> order report and it wasn't on there. So I assume it's not on open order. And that's, uh -huh. it's just the nature of dealing with different companies and how their right. systems work. And, you know, small ones, it's not that hard. You know, a boutique amplifier yeah. company, well, they only make eight amps. And we really only stock six of them and we have four of them right now. And we have this one on back order. It's not that hard to think about, but the big companies, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, and like I said, a lot of stores maybe aren't as good as managing that. And this really happened. And as we kind of came out of the pandemic of companies being backed up, the story in the industry was that, you know, all the manufacturers, especially big ones, Fender, Martin, whoever, that they were dumping inventory on the dealers. Well, they don't mm. just put orders in, you know, like without the dealer ordering it. The dealer ordered it. And the dealer feels yeah. like all this inventory just showed up all at once. And that does happen. But a lot of it's because yeah. they didn't go through and look at their back orders and figure out, hey, maybe we should cancel these, push these ones out, then take these. Uh, and that became, uh, in the last few years, like one of the biggest things in this industry is managing that flow. So you don't end up one day staring at, you know, two UPS trucks or FedEx trucks <laughs> unloading all of it at once. Because uh, right. one, you have nowhere to put it, and two, you got to pay for that. And that's, right. know, that's, that's hard. Uh, so that's, another aspect yeah. of this is just that the, the musical instrument industry in general, you know, it, it, it has its roots almost more, at least electric guitars, the kind of stuff that we deal in, uh, of a guy like Leo Fender working in his shop or Les Paul working in his garage. You know, it... it a lot of a lot of people did invent things at home and then came and then brought them to market and it's a very organic kind of uh, uh, from the bottom up sort of a thing you know sure um, so there's a lot of small companies again staffed by creative people and each one of them is going to have a, a completely different way to deal with the logistics of ordering and stocking and keeping track of their orders and um, right how they want to be paid, what their terms are. It's, it's just, I don't know how many different, we specialize in all these little boutique companies, the little boutique companies, they don't have big accounting departments who can have like Fender has the reports available right away. Right. So the whole, the whole in, MI industry is it's, it's just not very corporate. It's very fragmented and, and uh, a lot of amateurism kind of seeps in with these little smaller boutique companies some of them right. are, of course are very tightly run but some of them are the guy's more interested in the paint job on the flanger than he is in you know <laughs> reconciling his reports or getting back with his dealer on where's my stuff so right right well i'm i'm guessing that having a store staffed with musicians you know everybody is used to rolling with the punches and that helps out in general yeah one has to yeah absolutely yes. and then you know on the back end of the business to keep it organized and 
you know, highly detailed as far as what we're doing. And, you know, it's like I said, it's not the most fun or exciting part of the business to think about an Excel <laughs> sheet, but yeah, it kind of have to do it. Keeps it, it running smoothly. Yeah. And if we we're a small store with three employees and one wall of guitars and some amps and pedals and only carried 10 brands or whatever, yeah, you could do it. And, you know, over the years, how True Tone grew and expanded and changed is part of why the back end of the business had to be modernized and have to have a system with full inventory and everything in it and be able to do it this way is because the business did grow to needing that. There's plenty of right. little guitar stores that are run by one or maybe two people who are much smaller and they can still do it the old school way of, on pen and paper. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just yeah. not, that's, that's not what we are at this point. We've grown to this bigger operation that needs you know, a higher level of organization and modernization. And thankfully right. we have that. Especially right. when the pandemic, it was really important to have all that because a lot of those other sure. old school stores, they ended up, they went away, you know, not just guitar retail, but retail in general. If you weren't able to adapt and do online and, and, you know, curbside pickup and all this stuff, yeah. it was really going to be hard for you to survive as a business without modernization. And it, it also, it also turned out that it was just like restaurants, the, the good stores, did well and the bad stores went out of business. Yeah. That's that's the general trend. And it was the same with restaurants during the pandemic. So luckily we were in a in a good spot going into that and we managed to to get through it okay. Uh, I'm well, I'm grateful for that. I'm glad every time I get to walk in there I feel lucky. So thanks for doing what you guys do. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you. one thing I wanted to talk about too, you guys also offer like an amazing uh, private lesson component to the shop too. And I just wanted to talk to you about uh, the teachers that you guys have there and how lessons kind of enhance the shop's allure, what it brings to the shop and uh, talk about your lesson program there. Well, you know, we, we, we have one main teacher, Sean Fleming, who's been with us since the beginning, basically. We yeah. intended to have more teachers. Yeah. And uh, I occasionally encourage Sean to uh, branch out and hire somebody to sub for him and maybe you know could also be teaching while sean is teaching yeah um but it has it just hasn't really worked out that way we had a few other teachers that we we tried out and it did not work out well uh, sean has worked out really well yeah. um it, it is basically to drive from the retail you know from Sanir and I's perspective it's to drive traffic into the store sure um but it does it, there's more than that too there's a social component to it as well you know the parents come in they sit on the couch and wait for their kid to have the guitar lesson upstairs and then they come out and um the kids come in for their lesson they hang out in the store afterwards and and play yeah. stuff and, and talk to the guys and everyone's you know everybody knows everybody everybody's friendly yeah. so it, it is it is a um you know there's a social meeting place kind of aspect to it that the lessons actually fit into very nicely because it is a community thing you know it's, a, it's yeah. a community of musicians whether they're students learning or they're professionals or um you know the whole range of of interests what's What's nice about guitar, I think, is that it doesn't take a lot to learn your first handful of three chords, and then you can play a ton of songs. Totally. It's a very low bar to entry. You play the violin or the clarinet, and you make these horrible squeaking sounds before any music comes out of the thing. With guitar, yeah. you can once you get your fingers in the right spot and hit it, you can pretty much, oh, that sounds like the song, and that kind of propels you to keep at it. Uh, it's a very low, low barrier for entry. And right. some people do that. And they never learn that fourth chord and they're happy with their three and that's that's where they're at and that's how they play. And and if that's their interest level, we, we're there for them. And if it's a very, uh, you know, committed professional or serious hobbyist or guy who owns a studio or whatever, we, we we're there for all those other people, too. But um, yeah. but, the you know, the, the, the parents bringing in the restrings for the kids because they're going to start playing guitar. That's a good chance to have give them a good experience in the store. Yeah. So that they come in and it's hard to find places like that. It used to be you would go find your local store and uh, may or may not get any help in it, but you, you could at yeah. least find some shops to go to. Now, there's not that many options left. So I think that's you really pinpointed. I'm glad you said that, Paul, because every time I walk in there, I do. I see kids. I see all these generations. I see people who have been playing a long time. I see... You know, I've walked in there when Jacob Dylan's been in there doing something. I've been in there when kids are there for their lessons. I've been in there with friends my age are there hanging out. 
who've been playing for a while and everybody gets treated the same and everybody gets helped. And it really does feel like a community atmosphere. And that's what I love about True Tone. So I'm glad, yeah. you, glad you said that. So thank you for providing a beautiful musical community in Santa Monica for all of us. And uh, I'm so grateful to have you guys on, man. Thanks for coming on The Conduit. Glad and to be uh, many more years of success. And uh, thanks again, you guys. Yeah, appreciate thanks, it. Dad. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. Well, uh, have a great morning. Mm -hmm. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Right, take care. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Yep. See you. Bye. Bye. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conduit. The Conduit is brought to you by Crew S Studio and danubeproductions.com. Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We Edit Podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Sure, and Avid. Extra special thanks to my brothers from other mothers, Scott Power, Bill Coulter, and Alex Dezen. And last but not least, go check out Soul Pitman, my hand-picked music playlists on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubik, signing off.